Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me, as always, is my producer, Kevin Black. I am honored to be joined today by a pioneer in the NBA draft space. It's actually big board week over here in No Ceilings, so it worked out great. The father of big boards himself, Mr. Chad Ford, is joining. Chad, how are you doing, my friend? I'm great, Nathan. It's great to back be back with you. I've been a big fan of uh, what you've been doing over at No Ceilings, and uh, you were on my pod uh, a little while ago as well. And so it's uh, thanks for the invite back on. Absolutely. I was honored to be on then, and I'm even more honored that, that you are coming on Draft Deeper for the first time here. So like I said, it's Big Board Week over at No Ceilings. If you haven't read our first edition of our composite Big Board yet, go over and check that out on the Substack. Every one of us have shared a billion links over on social media, so I'm sure you can definitely find it at our Substack. But Chad also released an update to his Big Board last week, Big Board 2.0. So we thought it might actually be a good idea to make a few comparisons of our big boards. And I want to start right in the top five. I actually picked out Jaden Ivey to talk about because Jaden Ivey is both at four on our boards. So, Chad, the main question I want to get to regarding Jaden Ivey is there's so much size and versatility at the top of this draft when we talk about Chet Holmgren, Paolo Bencaro, Patrick Baldwin, Jabari Smith. That seems to be a common theme is that we have a lot of these jumbo-sized wings who are very skilled, can shoot from the perimeter, can pass the basketball. Yet we have a guard at, num at number four on both of our big boards, Jaden Ivey. What have been some of the key factors to him climbing up draft boards to secure a spot in the top five and then also to maintain that position to this point when there is a ton of size and versatility that NBA teams might prefer to draft that high? You know, it's really interesting, Nathan, you know, the league is obsessed with wings and, and guards who can play multiple positions uh, and, and, you know, who can score the basketball and pass and what have you. Bigs have been sort of out of, you know, out of, out of, out of fashion, really, in the NBA. And so, you know, you're stuck at the top of the draft with Chet Holmgren and Paulo Bencaro uh, and, you know, to a lesser extent to me, Jabari Smith, because I, I, I think he's probably the most versatile um, of those guys. And, and so Jaden Ivey becomes the option, really. I think Jaden Hardy was in that conversation yep. early on and maybe a little bit less so now about, okay, if that's not where you want to go with your team, if that's not where you put place value in the draft right now, positionally. And I, I think for some teams, it's just positionally, we can find bigs uh, in free agency. Uh, we're not going to spend a, a high lottery pick on them. Who is your guy? And, and I think you know, it's, it's quite a success story for Ivy who comes in as a freshman in Purdue and it wasn't on my, in my top 30. It wasn't one of the top freshmen that I had, uh, had ranked last year. And then to see what he did in the under 19s, uh, for team USA, what he did towards the end of the season at Purdue. And then the way that he's come on right now, you know, there's a couple of things to me that make him a sneaky sleeper for the number one pick. He, he's got elite athleticism. Uh, he's got great size for his, I think, you know, if you're thinking about him as a combo guard, uh, length, defense, everything else. And, you know, the question's really been the jump shot. Will the jump shot come around so far? Yeah. It's let's looked okay. It's, it's a, a small sample size. So, you know, we're going to have to see how it goes the, uh, you know, the entire season, but you, you can start to project him out uh, in a way that, you know, Chet is tougher to project in some ways, exactly what he's going to look like or be in the NBA. Uh, yeah. Boncaro 
has some interesting comps, but I'm not sure that his comps are necessarily exciting guys at, at the number one pick um, in the draft. And and certainly Jabari is very, very intriguing uh, to me. And, you know, if I, if I was just playing personal favorites right now, might be where I lean as far as the, the number one guy in the draft go. But, you know, some of that to me, because, you know, my, my big board's always about talking to NBA teams and scouts yep. and trying to understand how they're thinking about the draft and where they're ranking them. That's why Ivy's where he's at right now. And by the way, if anybody out there, any of my listeners aren't subscribed to Chad Substack at NBABigBoard.com, I am a paying subscriber. He nailed, nailed it right on the head when he said about he creates and crafts his big boards based on a lot of what he's hearing, a lot of intel from talking with scouts. That intel is so valuable to everybody else like me who does the best that I can at giving a perspective based on watching film and going through and evaluating the players. But at the end of the day, it's always best to merge the two. So definitely make sure you subscribe to Chad Substack over at NBABigBoard.com. Be listening to his podcast. Ivy's such a unique talent, Chad. And when you watch him, I think that, in my opinion, he's the best rebounding guard in this class, although somebody who we may mention a little later in this show could actually give him a run for his money in that statistical category, but his explosiveness, you hit on it with his athleticism. He's, he's like a Russell Westbrook version of a guard in this draft. And that is really intriguing to me. And it's really interesting when you note that the biggest similarity or, or glaring similarity between the two would be the jump shot is his numbers. He is not very really well as a jump shooter off the dribble. He's only in the eighth percentile in terms of synergy stats and all jump shots off the dribble, but his pick and roll play some people have noted that he definitely made jumps to that towards the end of last year, but that's really been the thing that stood out to me the most even this year. Is in the 99th percentile in terms of pick and rolls, including passes. Is that a strength of his that NBA scouts see translating when he gets to the league, or do you think that he's still going to have a few lumps once he gets there because of some of the jump shooting concerns off the dribble? Well, I think almost all guards have lumps, and and you look at Jalen Green right now, and and I think especially learning the point guard position in the NBA is is one of the most challenging transitions to the next level, and and I think scouts are sitting on the fence right now. Can he be a lead primary ball handler on yeah. a team? Is he just a straight two? Uh, again, versatility carries the day. Teams love players that can can they can slot in multiple positions. I think a sneaky. Um, thing around Jaden Ivey as well that isn't really show up in the in the scouting report or film is a lot of these NBA guys know his mom. Uh, his mom played in the WNBA. His mom was a coach in the NBA, assistant coach in the NBA, is now the uh, head women's coach at um, Notre Dame. And pedigree matters uh, in the NBA. Yep. And when you think about sort of growing up in the environment they grew up, um, that connection to family, uh, there's a number of different things that teams look at because they're also looking at background of players, especially when you're taking them very high in the draft. Mm -hmm. and, and are they the sort of player that can be a franchise player off the court as well as on the court? And can they can they really fit into a team? Can they take hard coaching? And with all of that with Jaden Ivey, I, I think that he comes out very, very high. And, and certainly Chet does and, and Paolo as well. But uh, it's interesting to me how many times I've had scouts or general managers reference his mother and and what they think about her and how highly they sort of regard her as a basketball mind and talent and whatever else and how they think that directly translates into how he was raised, um, how he was coached um, growing up and what that portends for the NBA level. And so, you know, there's so many factors that go into this, Nathan, as yeah. you know, 
Uh, and and this is one. And and you you some people can dismiss it. You know, it hurt Lamelo Ball two years ago in the draft. People did not like his dad. Uh, and because they did not like his dad, there were scouts that were very reticent to, to draft him and it can help a prospect and, and maybe it should or shouldn't. I'm, I'm not going to weigh in on, on whether that's right or not, but it's certainly part of the conversation that I'm hearing, uh, when I'm talking to NBA people about Jaden Ivy, and it's certainly going to be a big plus in his column, uh, when it gets to the draft. See, this is why Chad's the expert. Right, because he brought up a great point that I've certainly noted with prospects in the past. When you talk about bloodlines, we talk about the type of environment they're raised in, the maturity level that comes with that, especially when you're playing a guard position in the NBA that's focused so much around leadership and communication. That's one of the biggest reasons why I was high on Cole Anthony when he was coming into the NBA because of the environment that he grew up in. He obviously his dad, Greg Anthony, instilled a lot of good values in him, and you just saw. Even in North Carolina, in a rocky playing situation, the chemistry that he had with his teammates, and he's another one of those guys who's very energetic, he's very vocal, he's a great communicator, and you see all that especially translating in his second year in the NBA. I agree, Chad. I think that could help Jaden Ivey a ton when he gets to the league, and that's a great point that I wouldn't have even thought to, to make up right now we're talking about Ivey, but I'm, I'm excited to keep watching him this year. I'll be seeing him live tomorrow. Be going to Rutgers to see Purdue and Rutgers tomorrow with Corey Tullivan and the No Ceiling staff. So incredibly pumped to keep evaluating him and get an in-person look at him. Let's move to another guy who you do have in your top 10. So Kendall Brown. I have him currently sixth on my board. I have him already ahead of Duran, Jalen Duran and Jane Hardy. You're you have him at eight right now. You're you even said in your article you're very close to vaulting him ahead of those two, according to some of the things that you're hearing. How surprised are you and our scouts at his performance so far, given where he was in terms of his preseason rankings? And he was probably, no, not probably, he was outside of a lot of top 30 rankings preseason. And what can he show at Baylor to even climb even higher than where he is right now? Yeah, he was in the 20s for me preseason. I I loved the talent. I think the question was what role was he going to play at Baylor? Obviously, role makes a difference uh, for a lot of these prospects. And and thinking that there was a chance that he might play a smaller role uh, at Baylor his freshman year, there's been a track record of that. This is not um, uh, their head coach is not necessarily a guy who's going to um, showcase freshmen the same way that a John Calipari might, you know, for example, or a Mike Krzyzewski. And so I think there was a couple of things that have stood out. One, he's playing a significant starting role on that team. Two, the feel for the game is off the charts when you're looking for yeah. wings, and that is the most important position right now for most NBA teams when they're drafting. And you ask for a guy that can handle the ball, um, can make correct reads, can defend multiple positions, uh, plays with a high intelligence, can play on or off the ball. Kendall Brown is checking really all those boxes early on. And and it's the maturity that which, which he plays the game, the way he sees and feels the game, I think, that it is really stood out in the early on on a, on a really good Baylor team uh, who I think is going to be excellent again this year. It's not maybe national championship the way that they were last year, but a very well co- coached, mature team to see what he's doing out there. And then, you know, the question a little bit like Jaden Ivey is going to be the jump shot. And and yeah. right now it's it, he's shooting the ball OK, but the volume's low. Yeah. And is that going to be part of his game? That was part of the question. In high school, it's going to be part of the question uh, there. Is he going to be a high enough volume shooter at a high enough percentage uh, to really round out what 
teams are really looking for when you sort of think about uh, winning the next level. And so part of the reason my hesitation is there is, and, and I saw this on your big board, and I, I want to give you credit for this. It's really early on to make a, it's really easy to make a big board that's just sort of like a power ranking and like yeah. who's having a good week um, right now, right? And instead of taking the long, the long look at things and say, how did we rank him coming in? Is it really right one month into the season to just abandon that ranking altogether and and move somebody up who's who's hot? And it, you know that's that's always something scouts are wrestling with. It's something you wrestle with. So sometimes with in Kendall Brown's case, you move him up because his role was significantly different than we sort of projected coming in. That yeah. that to me is sort of the right reason to kind of move someone up. And now that we're seeing him in a role, um, you know, we had the same question with Keegan Murray, and I, I think we'll probably talk about him in a second. It was really unclear after his role at Iowa his freshman year, what he was going to look like being the lead guy. And, and early on that the, the accounts look really good, but I think coming into the season, nobody really, nobody really knew that because of the role that he played at Iowa. So I, I think that that's, that's the case, but you know, in the case of Jaden Hardy and Jalen Duran, um, where they were ranked ahead of time, they've had some rocky moments, but not necessarily quite ready to, to move off them. I, I I thought you were wise, especially after what we've seen the last couple of games, to not get too um, down on Caleb Houston uh, yeah. of Michigan. I actually probably moved him down further than I should have. Uh, my instinct was guys are guys are getting ready to wipe him, uh, write him off for the year, um, but we knew that about Caleb Houston that he was more of a fitting guy. That he isn't the necessarily the guy that's going to have the ball in his hands and just go out and dominate every night. That that's not the game that he brings to the table. But now that his jump shot's starting to fall at Michigan, all of a sudden you're like, oh, Caleb Houston's looking like a top 10 pick in the draft again. So I, I think it's always that balance, right? Like, how do we stick to what we know about a player and not write them off too early? BJ Boston's probably the example that we're all watching right now in the draft. And maybe Cole Anthony the year before, where highly ranked out of high school, rocky freshman seasons yeah. we write them off then they come back and say oh man they look more like the guy in high school than the guy that we saw one year um, there and so it, it's really early and it's really tough to necessarily move him ahead of Jaden hardy he was one of the top three guys in in his draft class and is is adjusting to a very different role in the g league yet but if this continues and especially yeah. if brown starts shooting at a higher volume then i i think that he could easily end up making the top five for sure I didn't technically have Duran on the itinerary, but since we, we've kind of brought him up because of some big board rankings here, I did get the chance to see Memphis in person in Brooklyn. That was a really tough team to watch, Chad. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That was a pretty rough game of basketball to watch, and especially when you throw in the fact that Imani Bates hasn't necessarily been fully ready at the point guard position quite yet. When we get there, that's definitely as a wait-and-see type of approach, but they don't have a true point guard to help guide a big man like Jalen Duran on offense who needs somebody else to get in the ball in all the right places. Do you think that's going to be a big issue for Duran's draft stock moving forward? And do you think that might be a big factor as to why he might slide down? I think for some teams it will be and for some that it isn't. You know, look, some teams are going to say he's the youngest, you know, Duran's one of the youngest players in this draft. Uh, it's hard because when you see his body, he looks like he should be in the NBA right now, right? Yep. And so it's it's hard to to totally gauge. Okay, this is a guy that reclassified. He should be a senior in high school right now. He's playing at a high level in Memphis. He's gonna be streakier and be more up and down yep. uh, than a player that's a year. You know, Chet Holmgren's case, like a year and a half 
older than, um, than, than Duran right now. And so I think for some teams, they can really take that into account. I think that's why Josh Primo ends up going as high as he goes in the draft last year with the San Antonio Spurs. They're riding in the age and it matters. And then for some teams, they're going to be frustrated that when you look at him, he should be more dominant than he is. And, and at least for me, um, I've watched Memphis twice now, a full game. There was questions about his motor coming yep. in uh, from high school, you know, back and forth a little bit about it. But uh, man, he sure looks like he needs to play harder to me. Uh, that, that's been something, at least in the two, two games that I've watched the full game, that I've been disappointed at times uh, with the energy and the hustle. And, and to me, at, at, at 17 or 18, whether your skill level is not quite there yet, you should be able to bring Matt um, consistently every night. I think that's part of Penny's frustration as well with that team. Yeah, that's that, that's going to be an interesting team to keep evaluating as the year goes on for sure. Um, you you mentioned that we'd be talking about Keegan Murray. I'll actually jump there really quick before we hit on some of the guards. So Keegan Murray, he did earn a top 10 slot on your board, although you were admittedly hesitant to put him that high. And, and quite frankly, so was I. I was a little surprised, to say the least, to see him mocked as high as eight by Jeremy Wu over at Sports Illustrated. That that threw me for a little bit of a loop when I saw that. And his numbers, they are mind-boggling. I'm not going to sit here and, and read off every single one of them. I kind of did that over on my podcast, but they, they definitely made me fall out of my chair a little bit. And you factor in like a, a 49 to 50 PER so early in the season. But... Are scouts concerned at all that he's simply feasted on lesser competition and may come falling back to earth a little bit once, you know, Iowa starts facing better competition in the Big Ten? Like, for example, his last two games against Illinois and Virginia, still good numbers, 18.5 points per game, 5.5 rebounds, shooting 50% from the field, but only 25% three-point range. He struggled from the free throw line. What do, you, what do you think ultimately happens with his draft stock as we get further in the season? you think he stays here? Yeah, I was a little bit surprised, too, that teams had vaunted him that high um, based off of, again, like you said, a cupcake competition early on, though the numbers yeah. are truly mind-boggling in what he was able to do. And I think some of it was he was such a, a black box in some ways of like, we don't mm -hmm. know what Keegan Murray is going to be like at Iowa when you subtract Luca Garza uh, and Joe Wieskamp out of the equation. And how are they going to play him and use him? And to see him come in and dominate, and, and really it wasn't just the, the scoring and the shooting, it was also the rebounding, the block shots, um, you know, just this complete package. I, I think there was a, a big rush to, okay, now that we've seen him as the man at Iowa, yep. if he's able to put up stuff like this, and let's let's face it, all of these teams are facing cupcake competition uh, early on, whether you know, when with maybe Gonzaga, who like will play anybody anywhere, anytime. But quite like, literally, like the gauntlet the, for them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But most of these teams are 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 playing poor competition, and those players aren't putting up numbers like Keegan Murray um, is in the, in those moments either. I will say that my hesitation, personally, this is just personally um, with Keegan Murray is age. He's going to be close to 22 years old on draft night, 21.8, I think is, um, you know, where he's at. That's, that's a little bit of a red flag, especially as a sophomore. Yep. And, uh, and I'm always very sensitive to, to that. Like he is like Obi Toppin a little bit. He's sort of like a, a sophomore that reminds me of sort of the age of Obi Toppin. And so we've got to factor in a pretty big age disparity. Uh, for for him from other players and again like you said when you get into the big 10 uh, I want to see him be able to shoot the ball at a high 
at a high percentage. Two games yeah. is not enough for me to to say anything that it dropped down to 25% because it's such a small sample size mm-hmm. to to really understand everything. Steph Curry, you can you can pick out <laughs> uh, you know, a couple of games in a row where his shooting percentage doesn't look good anyway, but you know where it's gonna be. And so this is just something we're just gonna monitor all season. But if the shot is there. Uh, and he can keep up, especially on the defensive end, which I think it's there. Again, it's the yeah. value of the position that he plays at wing and some of the other wings that, you know, Peyton Watson, other people that, you know, at least I was high on early that aren't bringing it right now that that might create that space in that vacuum for him to go in the top 10. So let's talk about some of the point guards in this class because you actually did a great job. I, I hadn't even necessarily planned on talking about point guards, but you see some of the buzz that's been around them, especially the last week. You actually took the time to write about the point guard class this week. You do have J.D. Davison, number nine, on your big board. He's the highest ranked out of the top domestic point guard prospects, and Kennedy Chandler and Ty Ty Washington thrown in that conversation as well. There's a few dark horse names that we can talk about in Karen Armstrong as well as Tyrese Hunter. Where are you at? Where are scouts at on this point guard class overall, especially like I mentioned at the top, given some of the, so much of the size and versatility that's in the draft class and where, where are scouts out at right now on the point guards? Pleasantly surprised, I think is where I would start. I think that coming into this draft, that looked like one of the weaknesses of the draft is where you're going to, you know, pull point guards out of. Yep. Uh, I, I think from a physical standpoint, J.D. Davison is obviously a very intriguing prospect because, again, like like Jaden Ivey brings this elite, explosive, athletic ability, you know, to the table. Uh, you know, the where he played in high school and the level of competition he played at, and then you looked at this Alabama team that had a pretty stacked backcourt and knowing he was going to come off the bench, I think it was really hard before the draft to project how is he going to react to going again from where he went in high school to Alabama and sort of coming off the bench. And I think the early going, especially the game against Gonzaga is okay. Like this guy, this guy can play. I'm not sure that we're going to see him every game, knock four out of six uh, from three. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, I, some questions about his jump shot and the form on his jump shot or whatever, but I think that one the way he's rebounding uh, you know, his, uh, his assist to turnover ratio is okay. Uh, you know, early on, it's not great, but it's, it's not underwater, which is what you typically see with a lot of these freshmen that are going out and sort of playing um, the way that he has. Uh, I thought he was a real impact player uh, in that Gonzaga game and, and made some big, big shots uh, when, when they needed it. Uh, That's all going to be very, very appealing to NBA scouts. Like if he can keep this up and if he does what he's doing and probably doesn't even have to do what he did in the Gonzaga game, but something like unto it, um, you know, through the rest of the season, I think he's a top 10 pick in this draft. It just based, he's got the athletic advantage over all of those other point guards. And at the end of the day, if you, if you can play, if you have the athletic advantage and scouts think you can play, that's just going to win the argument. And that's why he's the number one guy um, right now on my board, but you see it's, I think he's at nine and then Ty Ty's at 11 and Gene Montero's at 12 and Kendall, Kendall, Kendall Chandler's at 13. I mean, they're all, they're all really actually kind of bunched together right now, which is why I took some time to try to tease out what are really four very different point guards uh, when you look at them and they all bring something to the table. That's a little bit different. You, it, it's funny. You, you keep going in, in directions where I'm definitely going to ask you questions. It's like, we're definitely thinking on the same wavelength over here. Three months think alike. Right. But that's the mm-hmm. point that I was going to try to make that JD Davison 
He's he's the best athlete out of all these point guards that we have. Probably has the best measurables when we're talking about that quote-unquote big four. I'm glad you threw Jean Montero in there. Um, but he does struggle a little bit with the pull-up shooting. I would call him a solid passer. I don't know if I'd call him a good passer yet or a great passer. I think he has the vision. I think he, he, he actually should get more credit um, in terms of how he sees the court and how he sees plays sort of evolving. But I don't. I don't love the passing ability from him. Kennedy Chandler has shown some of that passing ability, and he's shown well, he, some of the scoring He's the best ability. of those four, as far as Kennedy Chandler is the best of the of those four. We're not talking about Taron Armstrong, who is at, at leaps above that, right? As far <laughs> as like, um, his ability to see the floor, but but then after after Kennedy, I I I, I think it's tough with Ty Ty because he's not really playing on the ball um, because because Severe Wheeler's there, point guard um, for Kentucky. So it's a little bit tougher to tell with him. But I I actually think of those guys, J.D. Davidson's probably next in line um, after after Kennedy Chandler as far as a a passer goes. So um, when you have the elite athleticism, you might be like the second best passer uh, among the guys that are at the top of the draft. That's appealing. No, I'm I'm with you on Davison. I'm with you on the buzz at the very least for now. You guys had him at 21. That was a little low. I'm going to call you, call you out on that one. 21 Com- seemed low. Uh, Compo- composite ranking, it does well, was, seem was low. Some people have him in the 40s or like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, composite I think- ranking, like you, th- th- if he's that low and the lots of you had him as a lottery pick, then some people had him really low. So some people I'm not sure, I'm not sure like, what happened like, there. Some people did have him in the late 20s. Um, and, yeah. and that that strikes me. I agree. It strike me a little bit as concerning as well. I did say, on the one preseason podcast that I did, I was glowing about J.D. Davison uh, because his, his the energy that he brings along with the athletic talent, it's so funny. Colin Sexton at Alabama gave off a lot of the same vibes that J.D. Davison was. His explosive guard at Alabama can do a bunch of different things on the court, can score from all over. Questions about his jump shot, questions about how good of a passer really is he, but at the end of the day, I mean, you look at how sex is translated in the NBA. I think some of those concerns have been washed away, and I can see a lot of the same things happening with J.D. Davidson. So I, I do agree with you there. I think Kennedy Chandler's been my guy out of this group up to this point, although you watched that game last night against Texas Tech. Their length, their athleticism really bothered him. He couldn't do much of anything on the court. And those, I mean, he's a six-foot guard, doesn't get up off the ground on the jump shot, so it's really hard for him to create a shot over some of that length. Is there that concern there with you for Kennedy Chandler as well? Is that why, is that another reason why you have J.D. Davidson ahead of him? Yeah, you know, it was interesting because I um, put this together coming off that, you know, really um, huge game that Kennedy Chandler had against Colorado, um, where he looked like, to me, the best point guard in this draft. I mean, you know, when you talk about a combination of a guy who get to the basket, um, can pull up for three, um, has the passing instincts and, and freakishly, even though he's a small guard, which I think is the biggest concern and why he's 13 and not nine, yeah. uh, it, that, that wingspan that he has allows him to collect a lot of steals and block shots. Actually, he's like freakishly good at blocking shots for a player that, is fast, but he isn't the explosive athlete that JD Davison is either, right? Like he he's got speed, but I I don't think vertically he's he's like super explosive the same way. Um, and so you know, coming off that game, I mean, I'm I'm just watching that. I think it's the second time I'd seen Tennessee play a full game, yeah. and I'm like, 
you know, my big board was already out, but I'm like, just personally, like for my taste, this guy, this is a really, really talented. Like if you're just thinking about traditional point guard in the NBA, he does everything that those check those boxes, but then Texas tech is, is the, is the, is the counterpoint to that, right? What happens when he's met with athletes and length and size, which the NBA is going to throw at him in spades, you know, what's going to happen to him. And this is one game and nobody should overreact over one game. Great players adjust and they figure out uh, how to adjust. You know, Steph Curry coming into the NBA had to make a ton of adjustments to his shot and everything else to become the Steph Curry that we saw today. And so, and Chandler seems like he's wired the right way to probably make those sort of adjustments early on, but you can definitely see that that size matters in the NBA. Um, length helps and it is going to yeah. help, help him at the next level. But if there is a reservation about him, you saw that, that for the scouts that are in the war room that are saying we shouldn't take Kennedy Chandler, they're going to pull up that Texas Tech tape and that's going to be their primary argument against him. Yeah. And, and I think it's really the only argument against him really right now. So we did mention Taryn Armstrong. I'd be remiss to not mention him on this podcast, considering Alex over at No Ceilings wrote a beautiful piece about Taryn Armstrong that definitely gave a bit of buzz. The Wizard of Oz, 12.2 points per game, 7.7 rebounds, 8.8 assists per game. You actually did call him in an article. You called him the best passer. And it's really easy to see that when you flip on the tape and you see some of the things he can do with the basketball. I mean, quite literal wizardry that he does, the different angles he can hit guys from, the types of passes that he can make. I want to fall in love with him. I think there's there's some early LaMelo ball type stuff to his passing. And when I say that, I mean that he does try a lot of ridiculous things with the basketball. Some of them do end up working. Some of them don't, whether that's him trying to be a little too adventurous, whether it's his teammates not fully recognizing what he's seeing and what's going on. But it's interesting nonetheless because you even mentioned in your writing, he, he's not Josh Giddy, right? He's not, he's not the same height and length as Josh Giddy, but he's, he's a very inventive passer in the same way. What are some of your early thoughts about him? And do you think that he maybe climbs into this point guard conversation a little more? Well, I'm, I'm a sucker for guys that have elite feel. Yeah. Um, and he has this ability to see plays materialize, you know, seconds or milliseconds. I don't know what it is, but ahead of everybody else, right? Yeah. Uh, in, in the way that, that he does. I mean, he's fearless in trying to make those reads. And sometimes those lead to turnovers. But, you know, Tuesday night, he had 15 assists and two turnovers. Uh, at, at one point late in the game, it was 12 assists and zero turnovers. So it's not, yeah. he, he's, he's not out of control. Uh, he tries things that, with a high degree of difficulty at times. And you, you think about, he's at California Baptist, you know, that's, that's not like the strongest teammates in the world. Uh, you know, you, you wonder like what he can do at the next level where he's going to have a uh, higher basketball IQ, better athleticism, yep. what have you. And I, and I think, I think there's a couple of lessons that make me maybe more bullish on him than, than other people might be. One is that one of the factors that I look at in the draft and, and it's been taught to me by scouts over the years is do they have a skill that they can be elite at at the NBA? Yeah. Can they be a top five fill in the blank at this one thing uh, that they can hang their hat on? Taryn Armstrong, to me, the answer is yes. Based off of what I'm seeing right now, the answer is yes. He could be yeah. a top five passer uh, in the NBA. And so right, right away, that that should put him in in the conversation because 
you can't say that about most prospects. Nope. And, you know, early on when I was scouting, one of the mistakes that I made often in scouting was I loved these guys with all these tools and I loved players that, you know, had five, six tools, but if none of those tools were elite or even great, if they were all just like, okay, those are the biggest dangers to sort of bust out of the NBA, right? Because you don't do anything well enough to really sort of hang your hat on. And so Taron Armstrong to me has that. That's, that's sort of the first thing. And the second thing is, you know, we were concerned about LaMelo ball. Like we all said this about LaMelo ball coming in, but everybody was then these at the Charlotte was like, Oh wow, this guy is incredible. He can pass. I'm like, well, that's, that's the freaking scouting report the whole time. (laughs) It got got drowned out by his shots, funky, his dad's crazy. His, you know, his, um, you know, his defense was uninspired, uh, you know, in Australia and, and you forgot that LaMelo ball brings this special thing to the court every night that is really hard for defenses to gain. Uh, right. Like if you can see and feel the game like that's really, really hard. And then Josh Giddy, I, I think I, I'm not sure that Josh Giddy is quite the creative passer that that even Taron Armstrong is, just to be honest. And I think he's really, really good. Right. Like uh, but there, there's several passes that I've seen from Taron Armstrong this year that I'm like, I'm not sure that I've ever really seen uh, a, a pass like that before. I mean, you know, putting spin on the ball, the way that he's able to sort of do some things. So, you know, what's a what's not like Josh Giddy um, and LaMelo Ball? Uh, he's doing this against competition level that that isn't isn't particularly strong. I mean, you can you can ride off all of those things on him and say that's not go overboard, but I'm not seeing anybody else at playing low level competition that sees the floor like that or is making passes like that or doing those sort of sort of things. I, I just I'm, I'm not seeing it anywhere else. So um, I don't think it's just that his competition is weak that he's able to sort of make those reads and plays. And, and like you said, uh, it also means that for him to get 15 assists, his teammates have to make shots that he absolutely he does. And all of Cade's defenders last year uh, for the number one pick and his low assist to turnover ratio just threw his teammates under the bus and said, Cade's making all the right passes. His teammates just aren't hitting those shots. Well, for Taron Armstrong, I mean, you watch him, his teammates don't hit all the shots. Like it's, it's, it's plausible like last night, for example, that, you know, maybe had 20 assists, uh, you know, if, if everybody hits every shot, like that's out there, all that's, all that's to say, I'm really intrigued. I think teams are intrigued. They all know about him. Uh, and, uh, you know, Fran Fraschilla is one of the first ones that sort of, um, you know, turned me, uh, you know, onto him. Everybody knows who he is. Um, again, for the background with Australia and under 19s, this isn't a secret um, in a certain way. I think for maybe the general fan it is, but everybody knows who this this young player is. Uh, played for the Global Academy for the NBA, what have you. Um, I think he's going to probably end up a, a first round pick and maybe even surprise us. I, I, you know, this time of year, last year, Josh Giddy was like a bubble first rounder, or probably yep, absolutely about right. Yeah, kind of a yep. bubble first rounder. Now he's not playing in Australia. He's not playing in the Australian league and that, that will make a difference. But um, some coach and some scout and they're already there are going to fall in love with what this guy can do with a basketball. And, um, and, and I'm, I'm count me as somebody who's just mesmerized by his game. His case does bring up one question. That's a little bit off the itinerary from, from what I drew up, but it is an interesting point to make because it's a commonality he'll share with, with Patrick Baldwin as well as that he's playing at a school that doesn't play a lot of high level competition in the year. And Taron Armstrong's team played their highest profile game this year against Texas. He struggled. Only had one assist, seven turnovers. 
Um, Patrick Bowen, we already saw against Florida. He had a bad game as well, and he gets another shot at it against Colorado. We'll see how he fares in that one. But these prospects that, in Patrick Bowen's case, he was already projected really high in terms of preseason. Taron Armstrong's coming onto the scene, and maybe not behind the doors with NBA scouts, but in terms of the general public. But these guys who are playing at lesser competition, they only have a few big games. If they don't do well in those big games, you start to see the buzz about, yeah, but when he played then, he didn't do as well, despite not even looking at some of the whole body of work. Like, Terry Armstrong's going to pile up a lot of highlights. Patrick Ball is going to pile up a lot of highlights. How fair do you think it is, or how unfair, I should say, when these guys are criticized off one or two bad games? And from your professional experience, you've talked to so many NBA scouts. What, what do you think the conversation is going to look like a lot of prospects like these who they, they have to go off tape against not as high of competition? Yeah, I mean, look, that's part of it. But again, the other part is, are we seeing anybody at any level making passes like this at this yep. age? Like, right? Like this one to me, Taron Armstrong's one where it so screams out at the tape, he has a gift. Yep. Um, and yeah, I think any team scout can rightfully say, if he struggles defending in the whack, how is he going to struggle? You know, what's that going to look like in sure. the NBA? Um, you know, concerns about, I think all of those scouting things are going to be clear. And it's just how much are you going to value feel and ability to see the floor the way he does? And how much does that impact the modern NBA uh, in a way? And, and you know, watching Giddy and, and watching LaMelo Ball says, I, I think it makes a big factor and it opens up a lot of things. Josh Giddy to me, still struggling as a defender. Josh Giddy is a shooter, still struggling, but there's an yeah. impact out there that look he looks like he belongs out there every night, even on the, even though the Thunder in some ways are sort of like the whack team in the, in the NBA, Patrick Baldwin to me is a little bit more concerning, concerning in part because of the team's record, um, mm -hmm. including against cupcake competition. Uh, yeah. And the fact that when's the last time that you have a lottery pick on a team and on a, on a, um, on a mid-major team, or uh, right, or maybe it's even a little bit lower than mid-major team. Probably a low major is how you classify. Yeah, low, low major team, yeah. and they're not carving up the competition at that level, right? You know, I mean, you think about Steph Curry and you know other other kids from smaller schools. You know, one thing that they had in common was their team had a lot of success. You know, in their conference, in part because there's a lottery pick on the floor, um, right? Like he should be heads, leaps and bounds better than anybody else the floor almost every night, you know, except on the nights that they're playing Florida. And that's just not really been the case for him um, early on or their team. And, and so I, I think that there's been a bit of, and I think some of this comes off the under 19s as well, where I don't think he had the, the best showing um, either for team USA. Is this, is this a guy who maybe we peaked at a certain level at high school or what have you again, you know, you think about the shooting, the size, the versatility, that Baldwin brings to the table, but he's not an elite athlete. Um, there are going to be questions about, you know, who he defends at the next level. And, and so, you know, the, the downside of him choosing to play for dad at Milwaukee in the horizon league is he also put a big target on his, on his chest that said he should be averaging 22, 23 points a night, right? It's one yeah. thing if you can't do that in the ACC on Duke or whatever, but when you're the guy and the only guy, uh, on this roster, we expect different things from you than what we're seeing from Patrick Baldwin. And, and so far, I just, you know, in watching him, I haven't seen a lot of inspired play from him. 
And I've also seen him a couple of times just give up on plays, not, you know, not, not fully engaged in ways that just haven't been a good look for him. I, I had more scouts complain about him than anybody on my big board early really? on uh, and just be disappointed, uh, just disappointed in what they saw early on based off of sort of expectations. And, and some of them, again, the, the knock was, I don't think he's playing that hard. He doesn't seem that engaged. Uh, and um, they, they pointed out particular incidents in several games where he just wasn't getting back on defense or, you know, what have you. And that is, um, that, that's not good. Um, right. When, if you're going to go in Milwaukee and play in the horizon league, you better go all in. Yeah. You better light it up. Absolutely. The last point guard name I'll throw you. I'll be curious to see if he is getting a little more buzz. Tyrese Hunter out of Iowa state did get to see him live. I know Simon Rath at Hawks draft nerd on Twitter shouted him out, made, made me well known to him. And for a good reason, he's definitely a talent. I don't know if he's a talent for this year, but at the very least, he certainly burst onto the scene a little bit, inserted himself into the point guard conversation, 11.6 points per game, 5.4 assists. He's averaging 2.8 steals. He actually rates in the 88th percentile in terms of total defense, and that's something that stands out. He's, he's only six foot tall, but he has, he has that build that you know is going to continue to fill out, kind of like Donovan Mitchell, for example. He's not the biggest guy either, but he's just packed on so much bulk to him that he can survive, he can score in the lane, size doesn't necessarily affect him in the same way that it would other small guards. I could see the same thing for Tyrese Hunter, um, but he has struggled shooting from the field. He has struggled finishing around the basket. His numbers aren't great there, but he's a capable passer. He has that handle, that shiftiness where he can set up shots, and he actually it does rate out in the 69th percentile in terms of all jump shots off the dribble. Any, any buzz growing on Tyrese Hunter a little bit? I think he certainly helped himself uh, in the you know, feast week. And, and the way that he played. And I think he's on radar screens now for NBA teams, which is the start. I think, you know, being a six foot point guard as a freshman who has struggled shooting from the field and some of the other things like that, it, it, the, the, the tide is against him right now, as far as being a, you know, a, a first round pick. Um, but he, to me, he's a prospect, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think there's another kind of guy that probably teams are sleeping on again and it has to do with role which is nolan hickam hickman um of gonzaga who was really a top rated high school point guard and almost on any team in the country would probably be getting 30 minutes a night and be showing much different but he's on gonzaga and and that team is loaded and they've got a senior at point guard and so you know his impact is is more going to be coming off the bench but i've really liked him when he's been on the floor uh, for Gonzaga. And uh, he, he's one to me where I'm like, can scouts get over the fact that he's coming off the bench, that there's yeah. all these other sort of high level prospects on this team that are, that are really interesting. And, you know, frankly, there's a lot of guys on Gonzaga that it, it's, it's almost hard to, um, to evaluate because there's so much talent there. I mean, he's got another, um, Hunter Salas, another freshman that's there. I've really been a fan of Julius Strother this this season, and and there's certain things about him that I like. He's kind of fit into the Corey Kispert role um, there, and there's certain things about him that I like better than Corey Kispert. And it took us four years to get to Corey Kispert as a as a lottery pick, right? Like he really wasn't in that conversation until his senior year. And maybe people should, um, you know, jump ahead a little bit with Strother. So there's a, a ton of talent sort of the opposite problem that Patrick Baldwin has. Like uh, if there's so much to focus on when you're scouting 
Gonzaga and 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 they're they're playing great teams as well. And so you're sometimes evaluating eight prospects on the floor. When you go to watch Patrick Baldwin, you're you're evaluating one guy uh, kind yeah. of out there. And and you know for good and for bad, um, right? And so this is the case where he's a guy too. That that's the point guard to me that I think is a sleeper that is better than what he's showing right now because of the situation that he's in. And how will that factor in on draft night? Again, he's, he's a smaller point guard too at 6'2", but he has a 6'8 wingspan. How will that factor into draft night? Same way with Josh Primo, where you just say, okay, you know, that was his role at Alabama, what have you, but we're going to roll with age and talent and, and sort of where these guys were ranked sort of in high school. He's the sleeper to me to, to crack the first round somewhere maybe in the 20s where he's not, he's not right now in my top 30. What an interesting pick Primo was. I'm glad that you mentioned Strother's name. I love that guy. He has a first-round grade for me right now. I think that's probably going to remain so. As the year goes on, I can't see him falling out of my first round. He just He's one of the most efficient shooters in the country in, in a few categories. And you just watch the way he sets up his shots. He sets up his shots like a pro. Like you watch him on tape and you're like, he, he's a pro. He, he's he looks like a NBA pro player. to me too. Yeah, six, he's, been big, he's been the biggest surprise. Uh, and it, it, but it is interesting. I mean, this is this is how this goes, right? So I, again, everybody builds their own boards differently. But a lot of mine is conversation again with NBA teams yeah. and scouts and what have you. And I've had to raise his name like multiple times. Like, okay, we've been talking about Gonzaga, it's Strother, and then it's like, oh yeah, like it's <laughs> it's he's not quite broken through. I feel like um, from in the NBA scouting world, he's not quite broken through there yet. I I agree having watched all three of Gonzaga's high level games that yeah. he is popped to me in a way that suggests that he's a, he should be a first round pick. Um, and it'll be interesting to see whether he builds that momentum over time, but you know, scouts are stubborn too. And so if he was not on your preseason list of guys that I'm really thinking about for 2022, right. Um, yeah. You know, and they'll always have guys for 2022, 2023, 2024, what have you. It's it's sometimes hard to break into that and say, no, no, this year. I think Johnny Davis <laughs> in Wisconsin, sort of the same thing. You know, he's he's taking this big, big leap. Can he break into the thinking now? Oh, this is a 2022 pick, not a 2023 pick, um, you know, just based off of um, their performance. And so I I I agree with you on my scouting eye says he's a first round prospect. My my Intel reporting side of you says he's not quite, he hasn't quite got there yet from NBA teams, but that doesn't mean he won't, won't get there. Let's stop and talk about Johnny Davis for a second, because it feeds into the last question that I really had for you, which is who is one prospect you're likely to include in your top 30 come your next big board update. Johnny Davis is actually the answer for me. I didn't have him in my top 30. He did sneak in there on our composite board. People were already high on him. They had gotten, they had drank the Kool-Aid a little bit before I did, but now I've really flipped on some film and I've watched him. First of all, the numbers jump out of you right away. He's at 20 points per game score as a sophomore. He's shooting almost 46% from the field over almost 41% from three-point range. He's in the 78th percentile in terms of total offense, 93rd percentile scoring out of the pick and roll, which is great to see. And you flip on the tape, and the way that he sets up his shots, his approach to scoring, I mentioned it on my podcast when he played Marquette. He dropped 25 points, but he only took and he only made one three-pointer to get there. That's something that's not common in the NBA game today. When you have a guard who's scoring 20 to 25 points in a game, they're generally 
maybe they're not making, but they're at least attempting a handful of threes. And the fact that Davis is a mature scorer, he's able to read and pick apart the defense and come up with the right counter before he even needs to make it to get to where he wants to go. He's hitting a lot of tough shots. He has really stood out to me as like, all right, I definitely need to include him in my next top 30. What are some of your thoughts on on Johnny Davis? And then who is that one prospect that you're going to include in your top 30 coming next up there? I think that's a good choice. I, I think that he's he's right there on the bubble now and certainly somebody that I could um, see making. I think there's a number of guys because I think there's a number of iffy guys right now. Also, you yeah. know, it's very fluid when you start getting past 15, 16 at this time of year. It will be less fluid at the time of the draft, but, you know, this time of year, it's pretty fluid. So I certainly think that that's a great one. We talked about Taryn Armstrong, who's a guy who I, I really think um, could end up, you know, uh, getting there. Um, uh, Abaji out of K, uh, out of KU, uh, a guy that I continue to think um, could end up being there. Terrence Shannon Jr. Um, had a pretty good game again for Texas Tech against Tennessee. A guy who's been on scouts radars for a long time. They've just been waiting to see it, see him put it all together, and it, it looks like he's starting to put it all together this year. Um, is certainly someone. One guy that I was surprised was in your top thirty, um, and I'll just give you a tip based off the NBA guys I'm talking to. <laughs> I th- actually think he was too low as Wendell Moore, Moore Jr. Um, out of Duke, uh, guys really like him. Um, scouts was really on my like board. Him. I can tell you, he was on my board. I'll tell yeah. you, he was twenty three on my board. So uh, he's a guy that I think that teams are evaluating, certainly as a wing, but maybe even as a lead, as a lead ball handler and guard. Is is it possible that he could end up being a big point guard um, at the next level? And uh, I just just all the feedback that I'm hearing is is so positive, and there's so many things that he does that fit the modern NBA what a modern NBA team is looking for, for a wing right now. Um, and, you know, his age is such that he's not particularly old for a junior. And um, I, I think there's a, you know, he's, he's got a really good shot of not only being a first round pick, but, you know, maybe even creeping up in, into the teens um, just if, if he, if he continues what's going on. And then the last, last guy that I'll say, cause he's high on my board and I don't think he was on your board is what happened to Yannick Zosa? Um, <laughs> Yannick Sosa did not make my top 30 this first yeah. time around. He did not. You, 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 you showed great discipline with a lot of, you know, Peyton Watson and Caleb Houston and whatever, like not just writing them off because they, they got off to rocky starts and he's, and he's certainly gotten off to a rocky start um, in Spain. But this was a guy that I had international scouts telling me before the season began he's got a legitimate shot to be the number one pick in the draft um, based off his motor, his fluidity, the way that he moves. Um, the, you know, international scouts were talking about a guy that they, they saw could be a potential defensive player of the year in the NBA someday. Like that's, that's where he was going to hang his hat. And we knew offensively, you know, he was, he's, he's not there and, and certainly still not there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, those other things are there. And, and he's been off the rocky start. But, you know, there's some things going on with him. He had an injury that had him sit out for several months in the summer that he was working on and, and then kind of came back in and was just not really game ready um, when they came in. You also have them uh, bringing in Michael Eric into their in, into the into the team, a, a veteran American yeah. um, who was definitely carved into his role and changed sort of how um, they're using him right now. Um but I, he's a guy that I'm not at all ready uh, to give up on because I think circumstance may be playing a much bigger role here for him uh, than, um, than, you know, some, somehow the scouting report was just totally wrong on him. 
and and definitely one that in talking to NBA teams, especially the international scouts that I trust that are really good, they're not off on him at all. In fact, they were disgusted with me that I had him like wherever I had him. I I think I got 15, right? Like they were disgusted with me, like Chad, you sold out. I'm like, I'm trying to balance two really big things here. Like he, nothing on the production end, uh, really. Um, So, you know, definitely, definitely another one for your listeners to be patient with. Um, this 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 young man's story is incredible. Um, the level that he's been playing at uh, in Spain in the ACB um, at his age are incredible, and and he's definitely off to uh, an uncharacteristically poor start. But the talent level, I actually talked to some of his teammates um, last year as I was putting together stuff because I was really intrigued by him and what have you. They all swear by him, and so I'm I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna be way more patient with him uh, in the early going. That's a great tip. I'm definitely going to put more attention on Yannick Zosa. My, the listeners of my podcast have heard his name on this show. Our mutual friend Raphael Barlow was on a, a, about, about a month ago, and we did some previews on some international prospects. He's also a big Yannick Zosa guy. So yeah, that doesn't, and I trust Raphael. Me. Raphael knows his stuff. <laughs> he's, he's, uh, he's good. He's really good at what he does. Absolutely. That's, that's why I wanted to have him on. He's, he's, he's the best guy in my opinion when it comes to, to international scouting. So he, he, he's my guy. So my actual last question, I, I have Chad Ford on my podcast and I'm not going to ask him about a Kansas player who I was just glowing about on my most recent episode, Christian Brown. Has Christian Brown come into your mind as somebody who you're thinking about maybe deserves some first round buzz? Yeah, look, I'm hardest on Kansas. I love Kansas. I'm a Kansas fanatic. I'm also really hard on Kansas players. Um, and and so I, I sometimes actually tend to have them lower uh, because I, I get so emotionally caught up when I'm watching a Kansas yeah. game. And, and I just don't with any other team. But when Kansas is playing, if, you know, if, you, if you're a draft prospect and you make a key turnover and cost Kansas a game, I'm pissed. I'm dropping you 10 points on the board. <laughs> like it's like, you know, it's that sort of emotional reaction. I have been so impressed and surprised. Like, where was this the last couple of years? But, you know, there's a lot of things, especially if that jump shot is going to fall with any regularity uh, that make him look like an NBA prospect. I mean, I'll I'll be honest. I I was somewhat bearish on whether Kansas was legitimately going to have an NBA prospect, uh, certainly a first rounder. And now Abaji certainly seems like he's got a real shot at, and this is what we've always dreamed of as Kansas fans was that we were going to see him do this because he had the tools. I don't think there was any question. He just didn't have the role or the drive or whatever it was, but something, you know, that maybe that pre-draft experience, like flip, um, flip the switch for him. But I, I just kind of keep waiting for him to tail off. And so far the answer has, has been, he's not. And then he's going to be national player of the year at this point. Yeah. And then Christian Brown is, uh, yeah, I've been fantastic. So um, where he's at in the draft right now, I, I really, to be honest, haven't had serious conversations with NBA teams about like where they're slotting him in the draft. But um, just the eye test alone and what I've seen, and I I tend to watch many more Kansas games than any, <laughs> any of the other teams that are out there. Uh, I've been really impressed. And he looks like a, for sure, a, a, a second round prospect to me. Uh, and, you know, we'll see if this keeps up all year. If if what he's doing right now keeps up all year where he rates out in different percentiles and some of the stats that where he's at right now that I've talked about on my podcast, 
think he's going to be in that first round conversation. I, I'm a big fan. I love his feel for the game. That's what really stands out to me on the tape. Christian Brown, I'm, I'm driving that hype train, my friend. I'm driving it. Yep. No better okay. person to drive that train with than Chad Ford. But no, Chad, you're, you're, thank you. You're, you're, the, you're the right guy to drive the train because when I drive a Kansas train, uh, John Hollinger slides into the <laughs> uh, into my Twitter feed and points out that I'm a homer. So uh, I appreciate that. No, no problem. But Chad, seriously, thank you so much for taking the time to come on this podcast. We really appreciate it over here at Draft Deeper as well as No Ceilings. I tried to plug your work at the beginning of the podcast. I am a paying subscriber. I love everything that you do. You're an inspiration for myself as well as everybody here at the No Ceilings team. Give my audience one more giant plug about everything you're doing and where they can find you. Well, actually, I want to give your audience a plug for you um, because I, I'm, I'm so impressed. Uh, you know, I, I started the way you started um, and, and the way all of you started, my own independent website, trying to build an audience guerrilla style, uh, you know, from scratch. And it's frustrating because, you know, I felt at the time I was doing really great work, but I know the eyeballs on it compared to other other places are, are, are so much smaller. And um, and I would say for all of you that are listening right now, like you're on the early train on, you know, what's going to be a lottery prospect as, of a podcast and a, and a, and a website. Like um, I, I'm so impressed with the work that you're doing and how you're approaching it. Uh, and, uh, and I see a lot of like the early sports talk and NBA talk days and sort of how you're doing it. And, and I, I just have a soft spot in my heart for, you know, young people who are, who are grinding the way you're grinding and doing it with the quality and the uniqueness of what you're doing. Um, I actually think the draft space needs more voices, um, in it. Um, I think for a long time, there weren't very many and, uh, and I, I never sort of think that's a great thing. So it's it's just amazing to watch the work that you're doing. And uh, I've been trying to promote it on Twitter um, as well. And and I remain um, great fans of you and your work. And uh, if you want to come over and check out my website, I am at nbabigboard.com uh, and uh, would, would love to have you come over there as well. But you've also been in great hands uh, with, um, with uh, the No Ceilings crew. And uh, just kudos to all of you guys for the work that you're doing. Wow, that 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 really does mean a lot to me, Chad. I know that when the rest of my team hears that on the podcast, it's going to mean a lot to them as well. So sincerely, thank you so much for coming on, sharing some time with us. And thank you everyone out there who's listening to an episode of this podcast right now. If you aren't following me on Twitter, make sure you're doing so at Draft Deeper. It's the best way to get updates from us with everything going on with No Ceilings. You can also subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and definitely stay tuned. I had Chad on this week. This was a big honor. I have another big honor coming next week. I know Chad's already had Seth Partnow on his podcast um, to talk about his new book, The Mid-Range Theory. I'll be having him on as well. So I'm absolutely excited about that one next week. So definitely stay tuned for plenty more NBA Draft content. But until then, thank you all so much for listening. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.